We're going to begin with a prayer, obviously. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Together, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be recreated, and you shall renew the face of the earth, amen. St. John Paul II, Apostle of the Human Person, Witness to Hope, Servant of Jesus and Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So I'm just going to go over the schedule very quickly. We're going to do 7 to 8 will be the talk, and then 8 to 8.15 will be a break. We have some wonderful books back there. Sister Catherine came with me from our book center in North York, Pauline Books and Media at Dufferin and Lawrence. And um, we brought some books on LGBTQ. There's an excellent one called Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. It's a great book. Um, right up to the moment, very practical. Could we shut that door? Thanks. Um, then we have a lot of general books on Theology of the Body to introduce you. And we have books just for parents. We have books for women, books for men, etc., etc. So I'm always around to give book recommendations. Then 8.15 to 9.30 will be the last part of the talk, and then 9.30 to 9.50 will be a 20-minute question period. All right, so we're going to start with a little survey. Um, before I tell you about the survey, we're also going to have a day on March 18 at Pauline Books and Media, four whole days of uh, Sorry, four whole hours. Was that my phone or your phone? I heard phones making noises. Hang on. Mine. <laughs> oh, it's you guys. Uh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. So March 18, we're going to do four hours of gender and LGBTQ at our place in, um, we have a hall below our bookstore at 3022 Dufferin. And we're going to have two members of Courage International. If you don't know what that group is, it's um, a Catholic support group for same-sex attracted Catholics. It's confidential membership, but there's a few members who are more out, and they, they'll give their testimony, et cetera, and tell us more about this wonderful organization. So you're all welcome to that. It's a free event, but the doors open at 9.30. It's from 10 to 4. But we will cover some of the same ground that we covered tonight, too. So you're going to get about, oh, about, what, two hours, two and a half hours tonight. Um, and it's all going to be recorded. And, um, but if, if you missed it or you have friends or something, we're going to do more. So here is our, how many people here know some theology of the body? How many people have studied it? Leo, yes. Um, yes, yes, I know some of you. Um, how many people have never heard of it? Like you've never heard of theology of the body? Okay. I'm glad most of you have. Um, so we're going to do a quick introduction, which is going to make, um, make the other topic we're talking about make more sense. I don't like to zero in on like special issues, hot-button topics, without theology of the body because they don't really don't make sense. That's why we, we're having a problem today with so much confusion and nobody, what the heck is going on and our young people are so confused and um, so to know theology of the body takes a lifetime. There's a gentleman named Christopher West. He's Mr. Theology of the Body. He is the first one who took the book, Theology of the Body, the book, big book that uh, John Paul II wrote, and broke it down for the rest of us. He, is, he said, I am still studying Theology of the Body. There's so much to it. And it's way bigger than sexuality. You know, as, that's a big part of being a human person, but Theology of the Body deals with what does it mean to be a human person? What does it mean to be part matter and part physical? We are the freaks of the universe, okay? We unite matter and spirit like no other creature. What does that mean? And what does that mean for the whole universe, actually? 
One, one time Christopher West said recently, to live the theology of the body is nothing less than to heal the entire physical universe. That's how big it is. So some people say, oh, theology of the body, that's teen chastity talks, right? It's like, or they'll say, oh, it's marriage prep, right? It's just with that marriage prep. And I, so I've gotten to the point where I say, you use it for that? People are like, but that's all it is, right? I'm like, I guess you could use it for that. And they're like, what? Anyway, I wrote a whole curriculum, and the first eight chapters, we don't even talk about sex at all. That's how big it is. We're just laying the groundwork and talking about big, big, the big, big picture. All right, so John Paul II's genius, as you can see on the top of your green sheets, is that he said, we're, from now on, we're going to go from the physical to get to the spiritual. You know, as Catholics, we've spent a lot of time talking about the spiritual. Ooh, spiritual. Ooh. It's not very verifiable, right? Can't see it. And JP2 knows that we're living in an experiential age where people don't believe in things they can't see. So he says, fine, we can start with what we see, the body. Much more verifiable to get to the, and then we get to the spiritual from the physical. So he kind of turned everything upside down, or rather, right side up. Now, which is correct for a human being to say, I have a body or I am a body? Normally, I have you write out a whole survey, and then we go over the answers together, but we don't have time tonight. So, But I will give you the answers to the survey with where it is in the Bible and in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So you can quiz your friends and have some fun. Also, if you sign up for my emails, there's, um, for those who just came in, there's an email list going around, and I will put my cell phone number up again so you can text me your email address. I will also send you the PowerPoint so you can test your friends. Which is correct for a human being to say, and those who know, who've already been done this, aren't going to say anything. A, I have a body or I am a body? How many say A is the answer, I have a body? How many say B, I am a body, is the answer? Okay, it's B. Now, before we go any further, if people ask you what you did Saturday night, you say, oh, I did this theology of the body thing, and they're going to say, what's theology of the body? You can answer them with this. This is, this is a way to explain what theology of the body is. But first of all, do you see the enormous difference between these two answers? If you say, I have a body, it's a thing. It's a possession outside of yourself. It's not you. It's something that you have, right? You can do whatever you want with it, because who cares? It's just a thing. And you've split yourself into. Who is the I that has this other thing called a body? I have a body, like I have a car, right? Huge difference. But if I am a body, then it's me. This is me. I am matter. I am physical. I am a soul, too. But I am matter. Okay. Next question. So, whatever I do with my body, I do with my soul. Whatever I do with my soul, I do with my body. I am one person. We don't go around saying, I am a body, I am a soul. We go around saying, I am a person, but that's what a person is, body and soul. So we can never separate those two, even if we want to, even if we try in our mind. I'm just going to do this with my body, I'm not going to get my soul involved. <laughs> no. I'm just going to do this with my soul. I'm lying on my bed and I'm thinking, so I'm not using my body, right? What part of the body thinks. Our brain. Yes, so we human beings experience all of life through our bodies. We cannot do otherwise. So John Paul II calls us body hyphen persons. We are body persons, which would make sense when, when you get further into theology of the body because there are persons that aren't bodies in this universe. Okay, There are persons that are not bodies. But we, we human beings are body persons, and he never wants us to think about ourselves without our bodies. We can't. It's an exercise in futility. It's an abstract exercise that doesn't match reality to think about ourselves apart from our bodies. OK. 
Sir, what is your name? Francis. Francis. Oh, I met you already. Um, and you came early, so I'm going to pick on you, and you're sitting in the front. <laughs> Could you please stand, Francis? All right, would everyone please look at Francis's body? <laughs> would everyone please look at Francis? You looked in the same place. Thank you. Let me sit down for now. So maybe Francis is his body? Yes? Yes? Okay. Okay, the best definition of a human person is A, B, or C. A soul temporarily in a body, B, a soul, or C, a soul and body. How many say A? Thank you. How many say B? How many say C? Okay, it is C. And you will start to realize that if you, you have to have body in there because this is theology of the body, all right? If you just say body, 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 you're going to get the answer right every time, okay, to any question. Now, I saw a few hands go up for soul or soul temporarily in my body, but we just established that my soul is not my true self that has this other thing called a body. No, but often this is how we think about ourselves. It's called dualism. It's very bad, and it's not Christian. It's Gnostic. It's, it's a Manichaean. It's a lot of other religious beliefs and philosophical beliefs, but it is not Christian. We are people of the incarnation. That means we are people of the body. And theology of the body means that our bodies are theology textbooks. Our bodies are revealing God. And if we can know how to read the language of the body, we can know God through our bodies. And since we know God through the physical world, it's the number one way we learn. And a lot of Catholics uh, won't believe anything unless Thomas Aquinas said it. You know who you are. He said all knowledge comes through the senses first. Right? So we can know God through our bodies. So the definition of a human being is body and soul together forever. Anyone have a problem with any of those words? And not how they're spelt? <laughs> forever? Body and soul together forever? Are we really together forever? What's the definition of death? The separation of body and soul. It's going to be the worst day of your life. Okay? Because you, you're, if this is what a human person is, you're still going to be a human person, but Tommy calls us, that's Thomas Aquinas, Tommy calls us an incomplete person. When we die in our body and soul, these two things that go together and really shouldn't be separated get ripped apart, we become an incomplete person. Okay? That can't be good, right? So the fathers of the church called death a cosmic obscenity. A cosmic obscenity. And did you know that death was never natural for human beings? But every, every living organism, it, it's born, it grows, it dies. That's just natural, not for human beings. That was not God's original plan. Remember the Garden of Eden? God said, here's life and death. Choose. And what did we choose? Death. Give us death. Wrap it up to go. Okay. Yes. Oops. <laughs> now you know the answer. Human beings are created in the image of God. This refers to soul only, body only, or body and soul. <laughs> yes. But how many people, and I think some, some people here, because of the hands I saw going up on other questions, tended to think it was the soul. Again, the true self. The, the real me is my soul. It's the spiritual part of myself. Because the spirit is good and holy and higher and close to God and so amazing and made an image. And the body is earthly and dirty and lowly and down here it's kind of animalistic and tainted. Kind of bad. How many people? This is this horrible dualism that we the church has never taught this. It's taught against it. But somehow we kind of get that impression from, I don't know, the way people talk, the way people act about the body, um, but it's not Christian. And this is one of the many things John Paul II set out to correct. He, he didn't just like write theology of the body by mistake. Oh, like, you know, the chimps typing um, some great novel or war and peace or something. Um, no, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he set out to correct this terrible, terrible 
body-soul split that has been plaguing us for the past 500 years. And I don't have time to explain to you. You have to come to my course, my Theology of the Body course. It's going to be all the Saturdays of June and July, except for Canada Day weekend at our place, Pauline Books. 32-hour um, course on Theology of the Body. So um, Katie has done a few, a few hours, several hours, many hours <laughs> with me. Um, all right. So we want, we want to kind of wrap up our introduction to Theology of the Body, even there's so much more to say. Um, so where do we think the soul is in the body? Where is the soul in the body? We, sometimes we kind of tend to think of it as this glowing glob in our core with the little arms and legs sticking out like a stick person. So we get this glowing blob of the soul here with the little arms and legs sticking out. Actually, the soul is shot through the entire body because it's our life principle. It's what keeps us alive. Right? So if I get gangrene in my big toe and they have to amputate, right before they amputate, is my soul in my body? Is, is my soul in that little toe, big toe? No, no, because it's dead. D-E-D. -E my soul has receded from that dead part of my body. Okay. So John Paul II says, only the human body is capable of making visible what is invisible. The spiritual, meaning our soul. So our soul is being expressed through our body. Our body expresses our soul. Francis, can you stand up, please? <laughs> can everyone look at Francis's soul? Well, you looked in the, someone's shaking their head, but you looked in the same place because his soul is being, we can't see it directly, but it's being expressed through his body. Right? So maybe Francis is his body and his soul right there? Yes? Thank you, Francis. All right. <laughs> through bodilyness, masculinity and femininity, man inclusive, meaning men and women in English, becomes a visible sign of truth and love, which has its source in God himself. So the body expresses the soul and the divine, God. The body is revealing God. Theology of the body. What does theology mean? Study of, ology is always study of God. Yes. Study of God of the body. <laughs> a little awkward, but, but that's what it is. So because we could have a theology of food. What is food saying about God? What is God saying about food? We could have a theology of sports. What is sports saying about God? What is God saying about sports? This is theology of the body. What are our human bodies made in the image of God saying about God? Now, how many people before tonight, before body, 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 kind of tended to think of as our souls that were in the image of God? I thought that kind of all my life. It was really my soul. It was Because God is spirit, right? And that's what makes us like God, and our bodies make us like the animals. Not exactly. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up this introduction, but I could almost make the argument, almost, that our bodies are more in the image of God than our souls. What? Why? Because an image is something you can... Can we see Francis' soul directly? No. But we, can we see the body? Yes. So we could almost make the argument that our bodies are more in the image of God than our souls. Now here's how they're also in the image of the Trinity. Before Jesus came, did we know about the Trinity? No. We didn't know anything about the Trinity until Jesus came. The Israelites, the Jews, knew that God was one. He's still one. <laughs> one God, three persons, right? We know about the three persons. So, who was Adam's father? God, kind of direct, right? God the Father, right? And they knew that they were made in his image, right? So we've got the image of the Father. Then the Son comes, looking like us. Oh, but he's not made in our image, we're made in his image. What? Are you telling me that God, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. We tend to think that, well, Jesus became man's like if I were to become an ant, I'd have to look like the little ants and talk like the little ants so they could understand me with my little antennae, right? And then I, I'd go back to, to the human world. That's not even what Jesus did. He became one of us, became man, 
And then he took his human body with him, the human body that he became, to heaven forever. So the second person of the Blessed Trinity now is a body as well as God. True God and true man, right? What? Would you do that if you were God? Would you do that? This shows us the dignity of the human body. And the fact that God could never have become man if the human doesn't interface with the divine. That's how precious we are. That's how precious the bodies that we are are. And then the Bible says that our souls are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? No. What's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Our bodies. Mm. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Made in the image of God. Okay. Resurrection means what? Just my soul lives on? Or my body resurrects to join my soul? So I become a complete person again? Yes, that's what resurrection means. Um, reincarnation does not mean that. It means one of these three things. It's a trick question because the they're all uh, different meanings of uh, reincarnation. The first two are Hindu and the last is Buddhist. And I'm here today to tell you that. And we already know why there's no such thing as reincarnation. Why? From what we've just said. I can't jump into Julia's body, uh, and we're two souls in one body. She can't come back as me. I can't come back as a flea. Why not? Body and soul together forever makes the person. A specific soul goes with a specific body to make a specific person. Can't change them out. Not interchangeable. And it is what it is. Something is what it is. It doesn't become something else. Okay, That's a great saying, it is what it is. We should get that tattooed on our arms. Just kidding, just kidding. Okay. When I die, my body will decompose or be cremated and stay that way, or it'll be resurrected. A or B. Notice reincarnation's not an option. <laughs> a or B. Thank you. When I die, my body, my soul will, A, B, C, or D. A, B, C, or D. Louder, louder. <laughs> Who's saying C? <laughs> okay, okay. No, 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 no. We are getting our bodies back, people. What? These very bodies? Madonna, are you getting your body back? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because the only reason Jesus got his body back did God do that just for fun, for kicks, for his health? No. He did it so that we could follow him and resurrect. These very bodies, are we getting new ones off the, off the rack? These, are these very bodies coming back? Yes. Why? Because I am my body. This is me. Right? Now, but I don't like my nose. Okay? It's going to be your nose, but your perfect nose, okay? We're going to have the best cosmetic surgeons when we die. So save your money. It's free. It's all free, all right? I've had somebody say, okay, how about this one? After death, I still remain me, meaning in my personhood and in my selfhood, basically who I am. I'm going to stay who I am, basically, yes. But I've had people say to me, oh, but I don't like me, and I have these things in my personality I can't seem to change, and I don't like it, I want to be somebody else. No, you can't. We're going to be our best selves, body and soul. So that good person that you're striving to be now, you will be. You will overcome all your problems and difficulties and anything that's wrong with us, anything we struggle with. We have a, a chronic illness. Um, the, the big toe, is the big toe coming back? Yes, yes. Um, Anything, mental illness, depression, things like gender dysphoria, whether it's of the body or the soul, it's going to be healed in eternity. It's called the healing of eternity. And we're getting these very bodies back. So, get comfortable. The answer is C. Get comfortable, because we're going to be together forever, body and soul, right? 
If there is no resurrection of the body, St. Paul said we are the stupidest of people. Christians are the most foolish of people. Um, and who cares about theology of the body? Because I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Bye-bye, body. It's not coming back, right? If there's no resurrection of the body. So why, why do we care? What do we care about the body at all? It's a thing. And the ancients were right. The ancient pagans were right. It's a prison. It's a shell that I'm trapped in, and I can't wait till I die so I can float around like Casper the Friendly Ghost forever. No, not true. Not going to happen. And this is, again, why we need theology of body, because Christians are very confused about this. Christians don't really understand it. I, I'm gonna, my body's going to resurrect, and I'll, my body's coming back, too? Yeah? Mm-hmm. This is a basic, fundamental truth of the Christian faith, just like the real presence in the Eucharist, for example. This is, this is it. Doesn't this change everything? Does this change your relationship with yourself and with the created world? Oh, yes, it does. Because there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's not all spiritual. It's not just woo. Okay? God is a materialist. He loves matter. He made so much of it. And it's all sticking around. In a new way. In a transformed way, we'll have glorified bodies. We have superpowers. We can walk through walls like Jesus did, remember? And the upper room was locked. He walked through. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. That, that's all I can do. I'm so sorry for this little teeny weeny introduction to uh, theology of the body. And we're going to move on. Fastest intro I have ever done. Um, <laughs> theology of the But maybe we need to do one more little piece because this, this is going to be key to gender. I, I think the animals are coming back. <laughs> World's cutest photo bomb. I think the animals are coming back, too, because new heavens, new earth, right? Don't you think God delights in his... If we delight in them, don't you think he delights in them even more than we do? He, he invented them. He, he invented cute. God doesn't just do majestic and beautiful. He does cute, too. Our pets are not ours. They're his. He loves them more than we do. So I think Fido and Fluffy are going to be up there, too. Or here. Here. New heavens, new earth. Wherever it is. All right. This hasn't been fulfilled yet. Have we seen the lion lie down with the lamb? No. Um, so we haven't seen the peaceable kingdom yet. This has not been fulfilled. Isaiah has not been fulfilled. Where the animals will stop eating each other and they'll play together. And we'll stop eating them too. Okay. <laughs> as yummy as they are. Okay. So this is Theology of the Body. This is JP2's big old textbook. And it's a Bible study. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. And it's a Bible study of the human body. See, only John Paul II could have thought of that, right? Genius. We have to keep calling him the great, okay? JP2G, because he's great, isn't he? Amen? Woo! Who grew up with JP2 like me? Woo! We love him! We love him so much! John Paul II, we still love you! Okay, this is the Bible. It is a love story from the first book in the Bible, which is from the last book of the Bible, which is? Yes, it's a love story. Satan says it's a rule book. But he a liar. He always a liar. Don't listen to him. The Bible begins with an earthly marriage, that of whom? It's marriage. They didn't have nobody else to marry. Adam and Eve. And it ends with a heavenly marriage. Did you ever notice that? It ends with a heavenly marriage. That of whom? Christ and the church. God and us. God and all of humanity. And right smack in the middle is one of the most beautiful, erotic, ancient erotic love poems ever written called the Song of Songs. It is the most commentated on book of the Bible, especially by saints and mystics. It can be read as between a husband and wife or God and the soul. Okay, so how many people here, you flip to the end of the book to see the novel, to see if you want to read the whole thing. See how it ends. Fess up. Come on. You know you do it. <laughs> you do it too. Yeah, okay. So what if the book starts the same way, uh, ends the same way, and the same thing is right in the middle? It tells you a lot about the book. 
doesn't it? So Jesus, the bridegroom, is going to marry us, his bride, the church. God loves us so much, he wants to marry us. The number one image of God's love for us in the Bible is marriage. Why? Why isn't it parent-child or brothers and sisters or colleagues or cousins or best friends? Why is it marriage? Why? It's, a, it's the most intimate union we know of body and soul, and new life can come from it. Wow. Uh, one lady said it contains all the loves. Isn't that beautiful? And again, wait, there's so much more we could say about all of this, but we don't have time. <laughs> so this is just to whet your appetite and be like, I want more. Give me more. Okay. It's a commitment. It's complete. Um, it's a unique participation in God's love and life that many, though not all, are called to. Okay? So married people, they think, oh, it's ordinary. No, no, it's not ordinary. Even though it's very common, and many, many people are called to it, it's the, com it's the common way to holiness, right? Common vocation to holiness. But as G.K. Chesterton said, there is nothing more ordinary than, more extraordinary than an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, and their ordinary children. And JP2 said, we have to make more of everyday love, of ordinary married love, because this is it. This is the image of God for us. Marriage is how we know God loves us. But no one is left out. <laughs> okay? Because before we can make that gift of self to someone else in marriage, the body is for the Lord. The body is always for the Lord, number one, right? Isn't that beautiful? And God's body is for us, the Eucharist, right? Okay. So we all, all of us here, have the spousal meaning of the body, meaning that obviously our bodies are made as a gift. The design of a man's body makes no sense without a woman's body, right? The design of a woman's body makes no sense without a man's body. Does that mean everybody has to get married? No, because we retain the spousal meaning of the body in our souls as well, meaning we are created for true love. We are created to give and receive love and life, all of us, according to our vocation. And this is why marriage is so important on earth. And this is why the Catholic Church is so careful about marriage. I don't say strict. I say careful because it's the way to the reality. It's the, the number one image that God has given us. And it's cosmic. Marriage is cosmic. Male and female is cosmic. It's everywhere. God and humanity, Father and creation, Christ and the church, Jesus and Mary, the bridegroom and the bride, the priest and his people, the masculine principle and the feminine principle. It's everywhere. It's just shot through creation. Okay, so do you see how heaven-oriented theology of the body is? We're on a journey, people. This is an event. We're going somewhere. And we don't talk about that enough. Like, uh, back in the day, the nuns in the schools, I, was, I didn't go to sister school, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they would tell the kids, like, we're, we're going trying to get to heaven. This is how we get to heaven. Woo! And then all of a sudden, when I was growing up, it was, be a good person here and now. The end. It's like, I went to public schools, and, um, you know, I did religious ed. I was like, why should I? <laughs> you know, like... Nobody told me we're on this journey. We're, we're, we have a goal. We have goals. Okay, now we're going to jump into gender. Because now we just touched a little bit on male and female. I just have to jump around in my PowerPoint. that the human person is body and soul together forever. 
the Bible say human persons are? It's right in the beginning, and it's very simple, but it's the highest, most amazing thing we could ever say. The human person is made how? In the image and likeness of God. Yes. Now, what, we hear that all the time. What does that mean? We just throw that around, I'm in the image of God. We, talked some, we just told some exciting stuff about what that means, but what comes right after this in the Bible? Because whatever comes right after this must explain it. It must be a very big deal, right? Whatever comes right after this. What, does it com- what comes right after this? Blank and blank, he made them. Male and female, he made them. Yes, so that must be what it means to be made in the image of God. The sexual difference is the image of God. Stop and think about that for a moment. The sexual difference is the image of God. Francis is the image of God by himself. I'm not going to make you stand. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you are? Marianne. Marianne, is she also in the image of God by herself? Even though she's not a male, she's a female. Is she also in the image of God? Yep, she is perfectly. But they are more in the image of God together. Like my friend says, me and my husband are like brownies and ice cream. We're really good separately, but we're better together. <laughs> okay, and they're even more, I was just talking about them as, as a man and a woman, but they're even more in the image of God as husband and wife. Because they produced. <laughs> What's your name? Isaac. No, even if they didn't have Isaac yet, they would still be in the image of God, more in the image of God because they're married and they're together. Okay, so anything else is a false identity. Anything else is a false identity beyond male and female is a false identity. Male and female is not biology, okay? It's theology. It's revelation. It's a revelation of God. It's in his scripture. It's in his word, right? But no one is left out. If somebody is struggling with gender identity, gender expression, gender issues, gender whatever, no one's left out because anything else that somebody might be experiencing is a variation on a theme of male and female because there is nothing else. Not in theology and not even in biology. Science only finds two human genders. What are they? Male and female. Now, I was, I was kind of doing the hyperbole thing when I said male and female is not biology. It actually is. <laughs> But, how old is biology? How long have we had modern science? Not long, probably about 500 years, right? Okay, Um, yes, and science only finds two human genders. We've had male and female, how long? Forever, for as long as we've had human beings on the earth. All right, so nobody's left out. You'll hear words like cisgender, if you feel like you are the gender that your body was born as, then you're cisgender. Um, and sometimes you hear these things really pejoratively said, like putting down people who, who believe that they're women in women's bodies or men in men's bodies. It's, it's gotten to that point right now with our culture and um, gender theory and gender ideology, which we're going to talk about. So our world today says that gender doesn't really matter. How can it not matter if this is what it means to be in the image of God? Um, It started with the radical feminists, I know because I was one, who said there are no significant differences between the sex except for a few reproductive body parts. That's not true. Any, Any science majors, anybody in the medical field, science field? Okay, we are studying more and more about male-female differences, and they are huge, and they go on and on. We have different brains. Our brains work differently. Um, They used to do sports science just on men because they're like, hey, we all have arms and legs, right? We all have a cardiovascular system. So different. Women have heart attacks differently from men. We have strokes differently from men. We recover from concussions differently from men. Why do we have Men's Health magazine? It's not just about reproductive health, right? Because men are so different from women, okay? Equal but different. Different but equal. How hard is that? Different but equal. Same dignity, same human nature, but two different ways to be, not have a body, two different ways to be in the image of God. 
and they're what we call complementary. What one doesn't have, the other has, because we're meant to work together. Put our gifts together, not fight, not compete, not tear each other down, say one's better than the other. See, but if we say there's no real significant difference, that is not celebrating diversity. You can't celebrate diversity when there's no difference. Okay? All right. So we're, we're different in many important ways, physically, sexually, psychologically, emotionally, socially, etc. And male and female behavior are, is not just a social construct. You've heard that, right? Gender is a social construct. Women just behave this way because that's how they're raised to behave that way. Uh, and men behave that way because they've been culturally conditioned, etc., etc. Now, there are some cultural stereotypes, certainly. Um, but it's not all nurture. It's also nature, the big nature-nurture argument. What makes people who they are? Is it all nature or all nurture? It's a little bit of both. But there's definitely some stuff going on with nature. So how do we know this? Um, first of all, just through simple science, knowing that we, our bodies are very different, even in the parts that we share, like arms and legs and eyeballs and stuff. Um, men's eyes are wired differently than women's, especially when it comes to sexuality. Right? Men are more visually stimulated than women. Um, I just thought of that example. Um, so they've done studies on newborns. No one's had a chance to culturally condition them yet, right? <laughs> so we're talking to them through in the womb, telling them what they're supposed to do and be like. Okay, no. So they do these studies on newborns, and the little girls interact completely differently to the world than the little boys do, consistently, all the time. Doesn't matter. Why? Because we're different. And God has created us this way to start to develop that we're going to interact with the world in a different way, each of us. And um, if you come to my, uh, my whole course, we talk, we go, we talk about these studies and, and what they are. It's, it's very fun. Um, okay. Uh, there was a, a feminist, a radical feminist, who I think it's terrible to experiment on your children, but she raised her daughter by herself, no husband, father involved. Uh, when she raised the child, brought, him, brought her out to the rural areas and... No television, didn't have visitors. She dressed her in overalls because uh, she thought like pink and princess was, you know, that was just cultural conditioning. Um, little girls don't really want to be princesses. And if she raised her like a boy, she'd act like a boy or, or some generic human being, which doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Um, and when the girl was about three, she, oh, she only had trucks to play with. She found the little girl tucking the truck into bed saying, good night, little trucky. Don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And eventually she had to just give up her study on her daughter because everything was, the girl was developing in certain ways um, that would be considered typically feminine, okay? And see, this was that little girl's own way of taking charge, taking authority, and protecting that little truck, right? Men do it in a different way, the way they love and guard and protect. But women have their own authority in the way that we guard and love and protect. Does that make sense? All right, so what is gender? Today, gender, gender and sex are the same thing. They're the same thing. Um, if you have a male sex, you have a male gender. If your body is male, your soul is male, unless something has gone wrong. Gender confusion is very real, but, um, but it's not as though this is something odd that somebody would actually feel like a man born in a man's body. Okay, so we don't have to give that a name like cisgender. So this, is, this goes back to the, the big physical spiritual split. We are now saying, I'm not saying it, but it's, we're now being taught, we're teaching tiny little children this gender ideology. Pope Francis is very upset about this. He talks about this. He talks about people putting gender ideology in children's textbooks to try to confuse them and make sure that they're going to grow up questioning and doubting their gender and being confused because we are imposing gender ideology on them. And he went so far as to say, um, why are the textbooks doing this? He says, because people are paying money that these things will get into the textbooks. There are very powerful organizations that are, are making sure this happens. So what's being said now is that you are assigned 
a sex at birth, and that's of your body and it's physical, but your gender is of your soul or it's spiritual, and this is who you really are. This doesn't matter at all. This is malleable, manipulatable. It doesn't inform your soul at all. These two have nothing to do with each other. And your real self, are we starting to hear something that we just covered? My real self, my true self is my soul. Oh, no, 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 my friends. My true self is my body and my soul. That's what makes me a human person. Okay. So we've split, gen some people want to, uh, like theology of the body people want to just do away with the term gender altogether. And just say sex. Okay. Because sex is of the body and the soul. Gender used to just be um, grammatical. To make things in grammar match. And now it's taken on a whole life of its own. So we know that like Facebook has 57 different gender designations. You can, you can choose from 57 different gender designations. Um, I was speaking with some young adults. They were 19, 20 years old, all of them, very intelligent, all in university. And they wanted to talk about same-sex marriage. They couldn't understand why the church wouldn't allow that. Um, and again, I didn't like to come in and do a special issue, so we had to do a little TOB and then talk about some things. Um, so we talked about what same-sex attraction means, and I said, what percentage of the population do you think is same-sex attracted? They got that right, between 3 and 6%. I said, what uh, part of the population do you think is transgender? And we had gone over what transgender means. There's actually three different types of transgender, but the classic, the one that everyone knows, is you feel like a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body. And guess what they said, what they thought the population of transgender people was? They thought it was 50%. And I said 15, they said no, 50. And they all agreed, it was a consensus. 50%, half of the population out there believes that it's a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. Like born wrong, that they were born wrong. And they have to have surgeries and take hormones to correct this fundamental error. And I didn't know what to, to say. I just, I just started slow clapping. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, the media has done its job. And they said, what do you mean? I said, are you, do you think that half of the population out there is transgender? Because every time you open your phone, there's a new story, a new law that's being changed, something's going on in a school, bathrooms, and they're like, yeah, it's everywhere. And I said, so the media literacy, that's my major, <laughs> the media literacy major was like zilch. They believed anything their phone told them. But also aesthetics. If it's well presented and beautiful, it, they believe it to be true. Um, that's why we need good graphics and graphic design as Catholics. Amen? Woo! Okay. Um, sometimes I send my young friends to these really important websites, and I'm like, did you go? And they're like, I thought it was fake. No, it's real. Well, the graphics were so bad. It was so ugly. I'm like, <laughs> Anyway. Um, yes. So... Yeah, so if somebody is, is truly transgender, you know, it's not something they choose, something that happens to them, um, sometimes for, from a young age, it's called gender or sexual identity disorder or gender sexual dysphoria. And the gender confusion is real. Um, but that doesn't mean that we then turn and say that uh, we need to doubt our gender, question our gender, or teach young little children to do that um, or that maybe 50% of the population is transgender. So I said to them, how many gay people do you know? All the hands went up. I said, how many transgender people do you know? One or two of them thought maybe they knew somebody was trans. And I said, well, how can this be then? You yourselves don't know that many transgender people. Uh, how can it be that it's 50%? So I told them the, the percentage of the population is 0 0.2. 0 0.2 that's transgender. So. And, and they could not see how that was more radical. It was more radical to feel that you were born in the wrong body than to just be sexually attracted to someone of your same sex. They could not see how that was. This is the times of confusion that we're living in, that critical thinking, logical thinking skills don't exist. So, so then apply that to gender or, or sexuality or the body, the soul. It just, just, we're living in times of mass confusion. And when I told them 0.2%, they looked at me, they didn't, Tell me they didn't believe me, but they just, there was just this bewilderment came over. But my phone, 
<laughs> and you're the only person we've ever heard say anything different. The laws, the school, the media, everything is, is all going the other way. I don't understand. Okay. David Bowie said, gender is between your ears, not between your legs. What did he do? Go all physical or all spiritual? All spiritual. That's right. Gender is both and. Okay. If we say that gender doesn't matter, we're saying the body doesn't matter. And we're back 500 years ago where this big, big, big uh, body-soul split happened. Now, there's been many forms of it before that, too. But for it to really take root in our world, is it started 500 years ago. What is the separation of body and soul? What did we just define? Death. So this is why John Paul II, one of the many reasons John Paul II called our culture a culture of death. It's not just about actual physical death. It's about living a kind of death by living disjointed soul and body. So remember that God is revealing himself through matter, especially through our human bodies. And our bodies are speaking a language, what John Paul II called the language of the body. And if we blur the physical reality, we blur the spiritual reality. And we're going to have a hard time understanding God's plan for our lives. Tommy said, when one is in error about creation, he will also be in error about God. A bishop said one time, sexual confusion is theological confusion. Because we have that image, right, of how God loves us, bride and bridegroom. Right? That doesn't mean that everyone who is, has gender confusion or is sexually confused is also theologically confused. But if we're teaching this as some kind of a truth or some desirable way to be, to choose your own gender or, um, you know, create your own hyphenated long term for your gender, that's theological confusion. So I, the Catholic Church may be one of the only entities in the world right now that is taking matter, the physical world, and the human body seriously as a sacred revelation of God. Science also takes matter and the physical world seriously, but often denying the spiritual. And it's, and it's not science's job. That's not what it's supposed to do in its discipline to talk about the soul or question, does God exist? That's not part of what it's supposed to do. But it's doing that. It's overstepping its bounds. So many scientists, famous scientists, are also atheists, and they're trying to push their atheism on everyone, and it's just not their, their job to do that. And unfortunately, science also takes its knowledge and tries to manipulate the world in ways that are against its sacredness or against God or against humanity. Does that make sense? So science alone by itself, do we Catholics love science? Yes, yes, we love it, we love it, we love it, we love it. Because all it does is show us how amazing God made everything and how it works. But then how you apply that knowledge, that's in the ethical realm. That's a whole other ballgame. Okay, we're going to take a break till 8.15.